Hi, I'm Justine. And I'm Sarah LaVon. And we are so glad you're here. We believe that your life has the potential to make a deep, meaningful impact on the world around you. You, as a nurse, have the ability to add value to every single person and patient you touch. We want to inspire you with resources, education, and stories to support you to live your absolute best life, both in and outside of work. But don't expect perfection over here. We're just here to have some conversations about anything birth, work, and life, trying to add some happy to your hour as we all grow together. By nurses, for nurses, this is Happy Hour with Bundle Birth Nurses. A hot topic that's constantly in my DMs is... Can you share the research on laboring down? I've had a provider say to immediately start pushing when our patient is 10 centimeters and they don't want me to labor down and they'll share their concerns because as nurses, we anecdotally are like laboring down saves everyone time, right? Like no one wants to push for more than three, four hours. And so we wanted to talk a little bit today on the research behind laboring down or not laboring down. And then our tips and strategies along the way of what we think our opinion is and then what we do in practice. If you don't know what laboring down is, uh, let's explain it for a second. There are four stages of labor. The first stage is before the patient is 10 centimeters. They are in that first stage of labor. Once they get to 10 centimeters, that becomes second stage of labor. And they're in second stage until 10 centimeters to when baby delivers. Once baby delivers, they're in third stage and they're in third stage from delivery of baby to delivery of placenta. And then once that placenta delivers, they are now in the fourth stage of labor. So where does laboring down fit? That fits in that second stage of labor. So once they're 10 centimeters to delivery, you in theory could labor them down. So you're not pushing right away when they get to 10 centimeters. We know that there are lots of times where they're 10, a hundred minus two, however you say that you might say fully, you say complete, whatever, depending on where you are in the country, they are 10 centimeters, hundred percent complete, but sometimes it can be minus two, minus one, zero station. And sometimes the practice has been to labor them down back in the day patients used to just push, right? They felt the urge to push. That's the Ferguson reflex, which I'm going to have Sarah explain in a second, but they felt this urge to push and they would have their baby. But in the 1980s, epidurals became really popular and we lost that urge to push sometimes, but laboring down is when they become complete. They're 10 centimeters, but baby's still a little high, or they feel no urge to push, or you do a practice push with them and the baby does not move at all. The idea would be, okay, so we're going to labor you down, or we're going to We're going to promote passive descent of baby, right? The contractions are going to do the work. Baby's going to do the cardinal movements and come into the pelvis. So there's passive descent, delayed pushing or laboring down. That's all the same thing. So what does the research show? There are a few studies that say that laboring down is the worst thing you can do. It's very much anti-laboring down. And then there's studies that say that laboring down is fine. The studies that show that laboring down should not be done are ones that say and show that your patient has an increased risk for hemorrhage. There was a study with like 2,300 people, and we will post these, that went for hemorrhage risk from like 2.3% to 4.1%, so almost double of your increased risk for hemorrhage. Honestly, that makes sense to me, especially the way you labor down. If you have pit going, if you've labored them down for three hours, if They've had a 30 hour induction. They have choreo now they're on magnesium. A lot of factors can play into that risk of hemorrhage. And if you want more information on hemorrhage, we do have an episode on that, but it, there's a lot of factors that go into risk for hemorrhage. I don't think it's just laboring down, but that makes sense to me in my brain that we could have an increased risk for hemorrhage with laboring down. 
How does it make There's sense also in your a, brain? Why does it make sense to you? Because <laughs> I think the practice at my current hospital is like they labor, they can labor down for hours based on, based on provider availability, because we have mm. providers in clinic all day. So I've seen hemorrhages from laboring down. And so I think it makes sense. So I think that you have, why to do you think down. the patho is that it like causes a hemorrhage? Because I think the uterus is tired. Mm. And so, and we've given so much pit and all the receptors are so full. And so when they deliver, it's like, all right, I'm done. Like the baby's out, you know, and the uterine tone is crappy. Mm. <laughs> right? Once okay. they can't, that acne can occur. Interesting. Then there's a risk for choreo. There's a, a higher risk for choreo when it comes to laboring down. And I think that has more to do with how long they've been in labor, ruptured. Number of vaginal exams. Number of vaginal exams. How many times are you checking them, especially later in labor? So then they say that there's not much data comparing vaginal births versus cesarean births. Um, that's kind of a wash based on if you immediately push or delay pushing. Then I went into the Cochrane review because as you know, Cochrane, if you don't know, Cochrane likes to do analysis of all the studies for us. They're amazing. And they compiled 21 different studies in total. And I really liked what they said because it's kind of where I stand too, is that there is no evidence to support any specific style and that mm -hmm. it's patient specific. Um, they, they did note that like, yeah, there is some evidence of more hemorrhage and choreo. And there's some evidence of less, um, lacerations if you, you labor down, but the data was not good. They actually downgraded some of the data due to the limited, like the study limitations. And they, they say that all of the evidence based on laboring down is either moderate to very low quality of evidence. And so what that tells me is that, yeah, it's kind of like, Provider preference, um, if you have residents or providers that are so passionate about not laboring down, in my mind, it kind of gives me some grace because I'm like, they've read research, they want to do what's best, they want to get those babies out, but it's kind of a wash in my mind. Uh, what do you think, Sarah? I mean, how much of this is looking at maternal satisfaction, maternal trauma, like psychological trauma and length of pushing? For sure. So the length of pushing, I do know. And I did put in my notes, I was like, where is like how the patients feel, you know, where is right. that? No one, no one talks about that. And so that's very frustrating or puts value on that. And I think yeah. like, especially like you read a Cochrane review. I know you sent me an Instagram post this week of like, what did you call the type of data? That's not evidence-based data. It's like interpersonal data or something. Like there's a whole thing happening on TikTok slash Instagram right now about like that the evidence matters, but actually our experience matters more. And like this shift into a land of valuing each other's experience. Now, mind you, some of that is subjective. Some of that, like, we're not the most trauma-informed as a community. And so to be able to check yourself before you wreck the situation, I think, is a risk of that. But I, I do agree. And we talk about all the time and why, like, we have a podcast even talking about a lot of this, this evidence is, like, the evidence can only show so much, or even I was prepping for Cancun. I've been prepping for Cancun for like a year and a half, but I was looking at um, looking up some data on something. I can't remember, maybe fascia, maybe breathing, maybe something else really fun that we're gonna do in Cancun and feel free to come. And I was like, I, there was this really amazing study and it was from 2012. Hmm. And I was like, it's disregarded. Can't use it. right. I can't use it, which is silly because once something's been it's proven, really like at, they're not going to spend money on research. Research costs money and there are people funding research studies and there's always an ulterior motive. Even for us, we're talking about doing research with our stuff and our motive is to prove that everything we teach is actually 
actually helps promote vaginal birth and, and reduces trauma and increases provider satisfaction. And while that is probably still true, we know anecdotally that that's true. Until we have evidence behind it, it really, none of our stuff supposedly matters when like my resource list for physiologic birth alone is like 183 resources, you know? So it, this is this is where like evidence, I, I have a caveat on evidence right now. And I've been thinking a lot about like the stuff happening on, on social media about it. And I think we can't disregard our experience because if I'm going to speak to maternal satisfaction, by the time they push by five hours, their face literally doesn't even look like them. Mm-hmm. You know, I pushed for nine hours. I can totally pay twice with the same patient. I had her twice and she just had a horrific time getting this mm-hmm. baby through her pelvis. She did have two vaginal births, but by the end that she like had, fast. right, right. And she did have like second degrees. She did have horrific vaginal recoveries, not to say she should have had a C-section. She's very happy with her experience, but like, would it have been more helpful to wait on pushing for two of those hours? And actually with the last one, we like paused to labor down for like two hours in the midst of the, you know, 11 total hours of the pushing time. Like that's a lot, yo, that it's affects your experience. Well, okay. So, so that's my rant. Things. That's my soapbox. Jump in. I, I love that. I have two things to share. So one I wanted to, before I forget, they did talk about how much um, delaying actually decreases the pushing time. Oh, okay. And it wasn't as much as I thought. So uh, all the different studies were a little bit different, like nine, 11, 12, but Cochrane summarized that it's about 19 minutes less of pushing when you delay. Now, anecdotally, that does okay. not feel appropriate to me. Cause I, I do know that like, I'm like, I've pushed for a long time. And then when you delay, sometimes it feels like, oh, you push like 45 minutes and you're done. But you just don't know less. though, like what's actually going to happen. Like no, you're, you're, you you're not, know. you don't have the experience of both sides with right. the same, same patient. Right. And so, um, but I do want to say that that post that you're saying that I shared with you, that was shared to me, it was lived experienced informed practice, which Mm. I thought was really nice. So that was kind of the social media idea. And I, I'm going to share something with you, Sarah. And I heard someone do this on a podcast once, so we might not share this, (laughs) but I'm going to share it right now. And then we'll decide if we're going to let it go. Okay. But I got a DM when I was talking about this on Instagram from a nurse that was working at one of the hospitals that was doing one of these studies and studies on lived experience. No, sorry. Laboring (laughs) down. Oh, okay. And, um, the nurse told me that the group that was laboring down, the residents told them do not change their position. Mm. So that comes with what you said, like who's motivated by the study. If the authors want to prove that laboring down isn't beneficial. Yep. And how unbiased is it when like who's, who's actually holding people accountable to give an unbiased opinion. Yeah. And so I think that lived experienced informed practice is important. And I think as a generation that we are growing up to really try to read all sides and get what the truth in things, uh, what I really appreciate about my Gen Z generation that I've learned is like, they're going to fact check and they're going to see like, mm. what's the truth. And they're going to dig in for that information. And it's really inspired me to do that instead of just taking something front value. Cause I'm that kind of person that you can convince me of any conspiracy theory. And I'm like, <sighs> okay, <laughs> I sway, but I've been learning to be like, I'm going to look a little further or I'm going to mm. listen to you, hear you. But then like in my head, I'm like, I'm going to like check into this. And so I think that's really important too, as labor nurses and birth workers to like hear people, listen to them, listen to their lived experience as well, and then take it all in and analyze it yourself and just be open to different ideas. But ultimately, like you said, like, what does the patient want? What is 
trauma-informed, what is their clinical scenario? Because there's no way you shouldn't marry one idea. That's what the evidence says. Uh I guess if you have a provider that's like, absolutely not, you cannot labor down. You could bring up the Cochrane. Like that would be smart. It's free. Just type in like Cochrane laboring down and be able to just be like, so what do you think of this? Like they did. Mind you, after you've talked to your patient and you know, and helped get informed consent on like, what do they want to do? And this, this to me is like, we sort of have to categorize epidural or non-epidural because if they don't have an epidural and they don't feel the urge to push, to force them to push when like they're, they have all of the innate tools, resources, sensations to know when it's time that like part of the fetal ejection reflex is, you mentioned this, or fetal ejection reflex or Ferguson reflex is basically this like feedback loop of hormones in the body where the head puts pressure on the cervix, which is why we want to set. We talk all about this in our physiologic birth class. And then you get, you get that pressure on the cervix, which releases prostaglandin, which tells the brain release oxytocin, release more oxytocin, stronger contractions, more pressure on the cervix, more prostaglandin release, more oxytocin. They work together and it's like, it increases the strength and frequency of the contractions and fetal ejection is like the idea that you're actually it's the body is ejecting the fetus and on its own it can eject the fetus from the body and so as you're as you're laboring down with instinct there will come a time and i've seen it both ways where like the baby we we know for sure that like wheelchair sign and like oh my god it's coming like you can't help yourself but push at times but there's also times where the head isn't as applied or for whatever reason, they're like, no, I, there's this like restitution of labor where like all of a sudden it's like so intense, so intense transition, ah, I'm moaning, groaning, freaking out. And then you get to complete. And then there's this like lull period of time that naturally and physiologically a lot of times happens. Sometimes it happens for five minutes. Sometimes it happens for an hour in between where people are like almost napping, they're resting. There's like this lull. And then it starts to pick up again as the body is like now ready for birth. But we don't ever see that because we're, you know, we're augmenting, people have epidurals and that that's nothing against augment, uh, augmentation or epidurals, but it's just like we have to understand this is why physiologic birth as a foundation for your practice is so important that you understand what's happening in the body so that you can recognize it and support it. And so if we were looking at it without an epidural, let them do what they want to do. And any provider to me that's saying, you know, you need to make her start pushing or I'll be there in 10 minutes. Talk to your patient. What do you want to do? She's not naturally pushing. She will have the instinct eventually. I will call you when when they're ready to push. That's the without the epidural situation. But most yeah. of our clients or patients have epidurals. Right. So then they they lose that instinct. They do not have the same sensations that somebody with, that doesn't have an epidural does. And so then it's your chance to say, you know, the data is very neutral on this. Some would say that it increases your chance of hemorrhage or bleeding too much after birth. If we labor you down, what that means is, is we wait to push for a while. How do you feel? Here's, here's, here's what the studies say. Here's where there's benefit. You know, the reason why people like it is because can help to save you some time pushing. Statistically, we're talking about 20 minutes, but that's a 20 minute nap if you want it. And so, you know, um, what feels right to you? What do you, what, what do you want before you even talk to your providers? And then you say, hey, she's complete. She would like to take a nap and labor down for a little bit. How do you feel about that? By a little bit, let's decide on a number. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we're not leaving them there, not touching them. We're not in high thrones, knees out. Oh my God, I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) So if you're going to labor down or allow for passive descent, there are some things we can do to promote that. And hopefully you have taken our physiologic birth class. And if you haven't, you should. 
There's one in February. This episode will go out like early February and our next class is end of February. And we don't have another one until September. So if you are someone that wants to join that class, um, you still have time. We can get you your supplies. But Sarah, queen of physiologic birth, and I know you're going to be like, you have tips too. And I, I do, I'll share. But I'd love for you to share some laboring down tips that you have. So I sort of think about it in two ways. One is like the disposition of the patient and what they're feeling. If they are totally wiped out, the goal is a nap, right? So it's it's let's get you into a new position. We'll talk about positions in a second, but let's get you into a new position and let's let's let you stay there. And I will be back in 20 minutes to change your position. Like up until this point, we say, and we recommend position changes every 30 to 45, ideally no more than an hour if you can. We know that your job limitations, like it, we get it, it's flex and flow. But in general, if you if you have the space and time that prior to that, it's every 30 to 45 minutes. Now we're bumping it up to every 20 because you do have the mechanics of the pressure on the cervix, the baby is low enough and you want that rotation, you wanna encourage that rotation and that movement motion is lotion through the pelvis. So now position changes bump to every 20 minutes. And in the meantime, if they're tired, you help them sleep. The other thing is that I have started doing is two things with my clients. One is the laboring down breath. So you've heard of like breathing the baby down and actually I have a YouTube video we can link in the references below on breathing and the last breath that I teach in that YouTube video and actually we'll talk about it in Cancun as well is a quote unquote breathing the baby down breath where you're actually engaging the internal pelvic floor to breathe into the pelvic floor to increase the pelvic pressure to help like it's like sort of a passive push, but it's not really a push. And actually I'll, I'll explain it really quickly here. So if you put your hands on your abdomen, I feel like I've, I've shared this before, but whatever it's re repeating is helpful. So you put your hands on your abdomen and you breathe in deeply to a deep abdominal breath. We hear about deep abdominal breath. So fill your lungs all the way down so that your belly poofs out. Okay. And then when you breathe in your belly poofs in, like it kind of moves with your breath. Now think about your diaphragm as you continue to breathe deeply. When you breathe in your diaphragm is going to go down and push all of your, your abdominal organs down because it's putting a, like a passive pressure, or it's actually an active pressure on those organs. The other thing it's going to hit is the bowl part of the pelvic floor. So as you breathe deeply, it pushes on that that pelvic floor and creates like a subtle little push down. Now, how you how you actively and I teach this to my clients when we're when we're waiting for a doctor or if we're laboring down is to try this breath and when you breathe in your belly goes out and when you breathe out, keep your belly out. So it's a where there's this very subtle when you try and literally you should be trying this to feel what I mean that we're not pushing, but we're adding just a smidgen of pressure on the baby, on the abdomen, on the pelvic floor, the whole area in the direction that we're trying to get the baby out. So it, that, is an, that is a passive but also active way to help slow their breathing, downregulate their nervous system, and then soften their pelvic floor and actively give them something to do in the meantime, unless they're like desperate for a nap, then if they're desperate for a nap, then like they should sleep and um, oxygenate the uterus, oxygenate the body, the baby, et cetera to help the situation. So I do that pretty much with every client. The other thing I have them do while I'm there is visualization. And this as nurses, we're like so 
like, oh, it's all hokey pokey. And, you know, some of us are into it. Some of us are like eye roll. I was, to be honest, I was kind of the eye roll type um, back in the day. And now that I've seen as much as I've seen from like the beginning to end labor side of things, I'm like 100% a fan of visualization. I use it in my own life. I meditate in the mornings. I did not this morning, but I'm gonna go do it later. And, um, and I really have found this to be helpful, not only for nervous system activation, vagus nerve activation, which also stimulates your parasympathetic nervous system. We wanna downregulate their nervous system not only because for their own stress response and trauma, it can be stressful. There may be things going on in their head. This is their transition to parenthood, which I'll talk about in a second, but also because our labor hormones work in a parasympathetic state. And so you're actually helping the natural body hormones to work better for oxytocin to continue to increase, release that prostaglandin, help the baby down through the birth canal. But there's also this idea of this is a moment in their life that has the potential to be missed that that when you're when you have even like a 20 minute window a 10 minute window i do this with every client that when there's when they're in that zone of pre-pushing and sometimes it goes really quickly like if we're not laboring down or like oh give me a push oh the baby's coming we're setting up totally different story but if you have that lull to have them close their eyes visualize this baby coming down through their pelvis through their cervix down onto the bed visualize it coming out slash just take a moment to savor this moment. This is a lot of times when I'll actually step out of the room and I'll be like, do you guys want a moment alone to catch up if they have a partner with them to sort of just have an intentional stop and pause and special time together? Like this is their last moment. And I'll say this, this is your last moments with it just being the two of you. And so, so take a moment to kind of settle in, talk about that. Some families will pray or some families will meditate together or they'll cry or they'll hold hands or they'll snuggle or they'll kiss. And all of that is great for your hormones too for labor. And, um, and a lot of times I'll give them that privacy, come back 10, 15 minutes later, they're in a very Zen state. And then also in that time, that's your opportunity to talk about pushing. And sort of when they're doing that breathe the baby down situation, that it's this it's this active, like you're imagining what it would look like. Or if they're starting to feel pressure with an epidural, instead of pushing to start connecting brain to body in that way of what would it feel like to bear into, to push into, to add pressure to the sensation in your vagina, in your rectum, because that's where we're gonna be because too quickly, and honestly, this has also become sort of one of my pet peeves in labor, specifically related to pushing, is when the provider, somebody comes in, they check you, oh, you're 10, okay, now push. Okay, push, go, 10, nine, eight, seven, six, you got it, almost there, okay, no, 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 okay, reset, you grab behind your legs, lift your head up, no, tuck your chin. Like, whoa, <laughs> it doesn't have to feel that way. Like all of a sudden you even probably sense the energy that I brought. and. We all know, we've seen it hundreds of times, right? And so you as the gatekeeper to the experience, as Justine says, that that's an opportunity to say, can I jump in here? Or, or, or honestly, I'm anticipating that this is going to happen. So I'm warning them and I'm giving them all those little floofy tips and sensations and visualization. And what does it feel like to push? Let's talk it through. What's, what they're going to suggest to you is this. If that doesn't feel good, say something, you know, or if there's something else you want to do, say something, you know, some options might be this, etc. right? We'll probably start here until you get the hang of it. And then we'll try changing positions. We'll get you on all fours. We'll get you on your side, etc. Um, so I, I think a lot of times we think, and I think probably what you were anticipating 
you meaning anybody listening to this, <laughs> was anticipating me going into position changes. And I think so frequently we as nurses, like position changes are the hot topic. They're so exciting and we have so much fun trying to figure out how to get the baby through the pelvis. And now that you've taken physiologic birth, you have the tools to do that. You're using your position guides, yay. But it's so much more than positions. And there's so many more things. Even if like you can't turn your patient to the side because they have D-cells and like you're stuck in one position, just shift their weight and then do some of this other stuff to help support a physiologic labor. So those are my tips for like the laboring down portion of how to make the most of it from like a non-position standpoint. And then honestly, you have your position guides. You're changing positions now every 12 minutes. 12 minutes. <laughs> I like that. Let's do 12 minutes now. Uh, I mean, or every 12, mind right. you. That's like, it's like barely enough to get a couple good tractions in. So uh-huh. every 20 minutes, you're changing yeah. positions. And, um, and then you're switching it up with the idea of understanding where is the baby. If the baby's at zero station, those those positions are different. You have your position guides at your bedside to reference, but really it's knees together, knees these parallel. Um, I honestly, because you don't really know where the baby's at, I'm going to go towards a more parallel, open, knees together position. That could just be like shifting a peanut ball towards their feet, not between their knees, and then throwing a pillow between their knees. You're doing all these things to activate contractions and help rotate the baby, etc. Then you also want to create space in the pelvis that you're not actually actively closing the place that the body's trying to bring the baby into. And I'll say for me, like you give me 30 minutes with a client and I, like, and you're doing all of these things and you're, you're changing positions every, you know, probably twice in that amount of time and massaging their ligaments and, you know, helping them with visualization. By the time they get to pushing, they have such a better experience, not only because of the psychosocial side of things that you've like prepped them for it and given them some transitional time in their brain to like do the hard work and also motivating them and pump them up that like now you get to be active in your experience mm-hmm. up until now we've just waited and now you have you have another layer of control which is so fun and exciting and you're at that finish line you're seeing that you're seeing that finish line in the fu- in the future you got that mile left of the marathon and so it's literally one step in front of the other one contraction at a time one push at a time giving it your all and this baby is coming now i'm motivated to go push with the patient and I got to say, I'm not usually motivated to do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, that's great. What um, tips do you have, Justine? I know I just rambled for a long time, but. No, I think all of that was good. And it's funny because I, I did think you were going to go towards position. And I was probably going to go more towards what you said, but we did mention the no throne, don't do throne. If you listen to that mm. and you were like, wait, why? Um, so Sarah and I hate throne. That's fine. But our experience has been that- Thrown for a long time. Yeah. Nurses have left patients in throne for a long time and they've left them in throne and not paid attention to their knees or ankles on based on where baby is in the pelvis. And so what does that mean? If your knees are out, are you is your baby minus two? Then okay, you're trying to get baby into the pelvis. Is your baby plus one plus two? Then let's throw those knees together. Um, that's important. So where is the baby? And then we have seen that if they go into throne- say at eight centimeters, nine centimeters, and you're trying to get baby down, like, oh, I really got to get baby engaged on that cervix to dilate it. We love the idea behind that. And you are on the right track, but anecdotally and our, yeah, gravity is great, but anecdotally and based on our lived experiences, we've seen a lot of swollen cervixes because of that. And so just be mindful of throne is not the answer to everything. 
Well, and that swollen cervix is particularly with our epiduralized patients mm -hmm. who are there for a while because not only like with the sacrum moving out of the way, the sacrum cannot move when you're sitting mm -hmm. on your butt like that. And your fascia is uh, crystallizing. And your fascia is crystallizing because you're sitting there for mm -hmm. so long. And um, the perfusion to the cervix is shifted. Now, if you don't have an epidural, you meaning your patient doesn't have an epidural and they're say squatting and going into a squat position or quote unquote thrown position, or they're in a supported squat position, they are going to be shifting their weight enough that that perfusion is happening. But think about mm -hmm. ourselves, like you try to sit for 45 minutes without shifting your weight. And by the end, you'll be having like a panic attack because of the lack of of like the pressure on your sits bones on your pelvis depending on the angle etc and so you know it's like we constantly are shifting our weights and this mm -hmm. is why pressure ulcers happen which they can happen in labor and delivery i've never seen it but you know you leave them there long enough with an epidural that actually can happen because there isn't blood flow to the area and so if you're going to use a throne Think about it strategically, know where the knees are. You can prop up like a little towel under the booty. I know you have an Instagram post on that. We talk about it in physiologic birth. And then also don't leave them there forever. That we're talking like, honestly, if you're going into throne, it is a max 30 minutes, but at the 20 minute mark, we are strategizing where to go next. We're shifting weight, we're moving around, we're, we're trying something else. So I love the idea of gravity. I love like even a squat at times is great, but even better would be like an all fours position, a W position. They're on our position guide on like the the plus station outlet positions, um, but flip them over and support them with a peanut ball. Um, and I know that, that we're getting more and more used to that, but also until you try it, you don't necessarily realize how helpful it can be. And, the, and an all fours position for laboring down to me is like, if I can get them there, that's my ideal because it does allow for so much mobility in in the pelvis and in the sacrum and they can breathe and relax and still do their laboring down and then probably what happens is the provider walks in the room and they want them in lithotomy for a second and so at least you've done some of that rotation work if they're at all op if they're all kind of lodged in a um and need to make that final that final rotation to oa that an all fours position is going to actually help them do that and with the all fours position, you guys, you can put the peanut ball, like a smaller peanut ball in front of them to help support them. Mm -hmm. um, Cause that can get pretty exhausting. As you know, mm -hmm. grab a friend if they have an epidural to get them into the all fours position. And remember, wasn't it when we filmed our coping and labor class, we realized how much more comfortable it is to put pillows under your knees, like between your knees when you're oh, yeah. in all fours or like, yeah. I don't know if it was then, but I, I always throw a peanut ball, like the smallest peanut ball you can find in between their knees so that they're straddling the peanut ball and then mm. they can just like whoa, relax yeah. entirely. Yeah. Agreed. I personally like runners um, for early breakdown. It's my, you know, and that's that lived experience. Do you use that for non-OP babies? Yeah, I do. I use it all the time. And you, you're determining which direction you want to rotate the baby? Yeah. So based on- What if like, they're I, complete direct away? Then I, I will still use it but I'll put, um, I'll still use it if baby's like plus two, because I'm in my mind, I'm like, I don't think baby's going to flip to OP when they're that engaged. Um, no, they're probably but, not. 
Well, and to be honest, I was thinking about fire hydrant when you said runners, like I was picturing fire hydrant because I think of you as the fire hydrant lady. (laughs) (laughs) I do like fire hydrant. (laughs) Win their own pee. Okay. okay. Runners is great for laboring down. Absolutely. With like bottom arm. And it really encourages that nap. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be, that would be, they want the nap. That probably would also be one of my, one of my choices, but I would actually, so I'd put them in runners and then I'd put like a pillow under the, the top foot to elevate the foot and just do a little twist torque in the pelvis to help open the outlet part. Mm, um, not a, not probably a peanut ball. It feels a little too extreme on the joints, just a slight mm. little rotation. But yeah, I'm like the that. pillow queen. I have like 15, but by the end, there's like pillows coming out of nowhere where you're like, where did these like 25 pillows come from? Whoops. That's <laughs> awesome. You guys make friends with housekeeping. I learned the other day that I still need to. I was like this sweet lady and I was like, I was helping her clean up the room, like tear down the room. And I was like, do you know if there's any like secret pile of pillows anywhere? And she was like, oh, we just got our new box downstairs. I'll bring it up. And I was like, great. And she Aww. brought like a whole box of like 50 pillows that we took out and expanded. And it was awesome. And so Aww, that's perfect. pro tip, make friends, yeah. ask for pillows, hide them in your rooms. You need, you need at least five in every room. Which is, people are like, we're lucky to have one is what they're going to be yeah. listening to this saying. Or you're stealing yep. from room to room. Yep. Okay. Well, I hope that that was helpful for you guys on laboring down. And we answered some questions. If there's anything else you want us to know based on laboring down, reach out, let me know. We can always do a part two based on any other questions you have. But that being said, thanks for spending your time with us on this episode of happy hour with bundle birth nurses. If you like what you heard, it helps us both. If you subscribe, rate, leave a raving review and share this episode with a friend. If you want more from us, head to bundlebirthnurses.com or follow us on Instagram or TikTok. Now it's your turn to go and take all of that you learned today, giving evidence-based care, integrating your lived experience, advocating for your patients' wants and desires, specifically related to laboring down, and then being really intentional with how you approach the very beautiful period of labor where you have that little lull to potentially labor down and add a lot of intention behind your actions to help them not only push less, but have a more positive birth experience. We'll see you next time.